This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the B Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 126 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. Many clinicians start their careers feeling unprepared to navigate the job market and the job search process. And in a lot of professional groups, I've noticed skepticism towards contract companies, recruiters, and staffing agencies simply because many people working in school settings don't know who they can trust. If you've ever had a recruiter awkwardly slide into your DMs or advertise in your online group without permission, you might be feeling some of that skepticism yourself. And there is truly an art and a science to navigating career placements, as well as job searching and working with recruiters and staffing agencies. And having this skill set can be a game changer when it comes to finding fulfilling work and finding a good position where you are respected and treated well. 
And recruiters can be a huge asset if you know how to work with them and if you can spot a good one. That's why I invited Ryan Cleveland to the show to give you a peek behind the curtain of the staffing and recruiting industry. Ryan is the CEO of Spotter Staffing, a company that helps connect schools with highly qualified therapists and special ed teachers. After over 20 years in corporate staffing across multiple industries, he started Spotter Staffing with his best friend, Ryan Allen, who is the COO. They wanted to provide staffing for an ethical and selfless industry, so that's what inspired them to focus on connecting special ed professionals with school districts. In this conversation, we discuss how staffing and recruiting actually works. What are the different types of contracts and employment options? How can you tell if you're working with a qualified recruiter? And how do you advocate for yourself during the hiring process? What are the benefits of working with a recruiter who has also been a therapist? And are there benefits to working with a recruiter or a job coach who doesn't have a clinical background and maybe offers a different perspective? And then finally, we wrap up by talking about how to avoid the grass is greener kind of thinking when approaching your career and how to weigh the benefits and drawbacks of being an employee versus a contractor versus self-employed and how you can find an ideal setup that works for your career and your life. And also we get into a conversation about how what works for you might change at different stages of your career. Before we get going, I wanted to talk quickly about how this conversation and this topic ties into some of my program offerings and why I have set up my support the way that I have. So the School of Clinical Leadership is my program who helps school clinicians take the executive functioning lead in their building so that they can take on the role of being the executive functioning coach for their IEP team. This is so important because a lot of times you almost have to designate yourself as this person and there is a way to do that if you have the right system. Now I'm gonna be completely transparent with you about the process and kind of the journey that I had in creating this program. I initially had my suite of language therapy courses where I'm helping SLPs and other professional supporting literacy with language therapy. And when I wanted to create an additional program, I did so because I found that clinicians needed support above and beyond focusing on what they were doing in therapy as it applied to supporting language and literacy. And that is so many other things. So the initial support that I came up with was what I like to call random thoughts with Karen. It was kind of like, I'm gonna help you with everything else about your job besides language therapy. And you might find this shocking. A lot of people found that very confusing because nobody actually knew what the program was about. Really what I wanted it to be about was leadership and career development, but that topic can include so many different things that I think that it was sometimes difficult for people to know what to do with it. But the thing is, is that there's so many things about being a clinician that you have to think about to be happy and fulfilled in your career. But I've also found that clinicians are pretty utilitarian sometimes, meaning that they want to know specifically what they're going to get out of a program and they're very tactical and practical. And because there are so many different factors to thinking about 
how we can find fulfilling work as clinicians, I found that it's beneficial to focus on one key area that people can focus on. And that's why the School of Clinical Leadership is about supporting executive functioning because this is something that you as a school clinician can get behind, that can be an initiative that you can focus on, that can give you some clarity on how you can really make a difference in the work that you do and show up as a leader in your building. Now I say this because originally what I wanted the program to be about was leadership, which it still is. It's just that I make it about executive functioning because number one, this is such an important area, but number two, because I want you to have clarity on what you're actually doing and your first steps. But there's so much more to it than that. And the things that you're going to be doing when you're thinking about putting executive functioning support in place and thinking about training other people in your building are also going to help you with your career search. And they're also going to help you build some skills that will be beneficial for you if you want to get better at the job search process, because part of putting that kind of support in your building is about building relationships and working with recruiters and knowing how to sell yourself and talk about yourself is something that's going to help you be seen as a leader in your building when it comes to being the executive functioning coach, but is also something that can set you up for success if you wanna think about the next stage of your career, if you wanna think about being self-employed, offering services as a private practitioner or other courses like what I do. So I say that because the School of Clinical Leadership is about executive functioning, but it's about much more than that. So I just want to invite you to think about that as you listen to this conversation. To learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash clinical leadership to learn how to become a member. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Ryan Cleveland. Today, I am joined by Ryan Cleveland from Spotter Staffing. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me, Karen. So uh, you have a really interesting background, and I thought we could just start off by having you share a little bit about yourself, um, what you do now, as, as well as what led you to what you're currently doing. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying it's interesting. I hope everyone else feels that way. <laughs> um, so uh, as Karen mentioned, my name is Ryan Cleveland. I'm with Spotter Staffing. I am, for all intents and purposes, I'm a recruiter. Uh, I've been in staffing for the last 20 years, um, went to school for something completely different. I actually went to Illinois State, which I think where you went, Karen. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was, I was very intent on being in finance, uh, actually finance and insurance, and uh, quickly learned after graduation that was not the career path for me and um, kind of fell into staffing, fell into recruiting and staffing, didn't know much about it had a friend that was in it. And then uh, for those that know Illinois State, I went to the job fair at Bone Student Center and met a couple of folks. And uh, yeah, I've been staffing since. Uh, worked for a, a pretty large organization for about 15 years and then uh, made the decision to step away and, and start Spotter with uh, my business partner, Ryan Allen. So when you're talking about recruiting, can you just give kind of a high level explanation of what your job is when you're a recruiter? Yeah. So we, uh, 
we work specifically with schools and with therapists and we help individuals find uh, positions uh, either short-term or long-term uh, with schools, with K-12 schools. Uh, so SLPs, OTs, PTs, our job is to help folks that are in that space find a, a career path that fits them and help schools find great, great teammates that can help the kids. So really, when you're a recruiter, the main job is that you're working, you have some kind of a partnership with an organization that needs to find staff. And then you're also working with the people who are looking for the jobs and just you're kind of this person who connects the two people. That's that's a great way of, of putting it. Yeah, we so we spend uh, our time every day talking with folks that are in a clinician role that are in related services or want to be in related services while we spend time working with directors, um, assistant directors, assistant superintendents, individuals in schools that are looking to hire talent, looking to hire individuals that want to be a part of a, a related services team. So yeah, so we're a connector. So we help kind of mirror the two together, help individuals find opportunities to broaden their career, expand their career, achieve their personal professional goals, and ultimately serve the, serve the kids and make sure they get what they need. Yeah. So really you are just, I mean, it's a very specific area of recruiting because you are, you are finding people who need to be in that role in K-12 education. And I know that recruiting can be, you know, it can be for tech companies. It can be corporate. Yeah. It can really be for any industry, right? Yep. Yeah, it can. I actually spent most of my career well, I spent my entire career outside of spot or in other industries. So it's my first 15 years. I had nothing to do with schools. Uh, I'm not a therapist. Um, never worked in a school. Actually don't have a lot of family members that work in schools. I spent most of my time in engineering, architecture, construction, manufacturing. So lots of different industries. But you're right. It's, um, it's School staffing is not the only industry and staffing in general, recruiting in general, has become so much larger over the last 20 years. When I was in school uh, graduating, the term temp uh, was mm -hmm. common. And when I thought about staffing or I thought about temp work, uh, that was the person that went into the office and maybe worked somewhere for a day or two to help out. And it has evolved uh, mm -hmm. to really outsourced uh, recruiting, outsourced uh, staffing. So it's it's definitely changed over the years. I think most people in this generation think Ryan from the office, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what we think of when we think of temp. It's yeah. like, a, you know, I, I would say not necessarily a revered position, the way that they presented it, which um, I know that a lot of times it's it feels... I remember when I was in the first couple of years of my career and I did have an SLP role, but I had a lot of friends who were, were temping and it was like, yeah. they definitely thought of it differently than the, the permanent being a permanent employee somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that's changed. I hope that's changing. Part of our goal is to change that. You know, we, yeah. we care a lot about folks that are on our team that are recruiters that are working with schools we care equally as much about those that are working in in the schools themselves and so i hope that's something that is changing uh, i believe it is uh, but that's you know one of our goals uh, is, is to change that mentality yeah so as we we were kind of talking earlier before we started recording about how there's a certain perception about recruiters and working with with different contract companies versus working for a district. And you know, a lot of times now, especially now that 
we are online and everybody's online and you get all these cold emails and people reaching out to you. And it used to be where if somebody sent you a message, it didn't, it didn't feel weird and intrusive, but now it's just, so people are getting so many messages. And then there's this, this skepticism about recruiters, agencies, um, especially within a lot of the professional groups. I know a lot of them, it's like, they don't want people going in there and posting job posts and things like that. And I do think that the way that you approach situations depends on the reception that you get. But I also think that people don't really understand what recruiting is, what the benefit is for you versus the district. So can you kind of explain if you're a recruiter, like how do you make money and what's the financial interest for you versus the person who is seeking the job versus the the district and the the person who's hiring, like how does it all work and what's yeah. usually the setup? You want to know behind the scenes, behind the curtain? Yeah, uh, yeah. And I could, <laughs> again, like I said, I think that sometimes people just don't understand it. So it's like, you know, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. Um, can I, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear, you know, if you have a perception of staffing, what that might be, or what, at least what you've heard, um, would you mind if I asked you, what, what, what have you heard? What's your perception of staffing? So I think that it depends on whether it is, and see, and I'm, I've done a lot with job searching and networking. So I have yeah. had the opportunity to kind of see like, what's the difference between a recruiter versus a staffing company and, and things like that. And I know that there's different setups and, um, I know that you really have to ask questions about what the arrangement is and who you're working for. And is this something where someone's placing you in a position and then they're out versus you're working for the company instead of the district? Like what's the setup? But I know that not everybody asks those questions just because they maybe haven't been at it as long as I have. So I do think that there is a little bit of skepticism with, um, knowing how to negotiate rates, knowing what a fair or reasonable competitive rate is. So there is this kind of like, um, how do I advocate for myself? And can I trust this person to advocate for me? So those are kind of the questions that people aren't really sure if they know the answers to. Yeah. I enjoy hearing people's perspective and it's not always good, uh, right? Sometimes People are skeptical of staffing. Uh, sometimes people have had a bad experience with staffing. Um, Spotter originally wasn't intended on being a school-based staffing company. As I mentioned earlier, my background is not in schools. It's not in school staffing. Uh, it was intended on being a more technically based organization, engineering or something in that capacity. That's what I experienced. Um, I was fortunate enough to be out uh, with a few friends and one of our friends, his wife is an occupational therapist. And, um, you know, in talking with, you know, a group of individuals I was with, I said, Hey, this is kind of my intention is what I'm going to do. And she had made a comment. She said, how come you, you know, how come you don't ever think about us? And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, mm-hmm. well, how come you don't ever think about, you know, OTs or SLPs or schools? I said, well, I didn't really know it was a thing. And mm-hmm. so I found myself uh, talking with her and then all of a sudden, meeting all of these speech pathologists and occupational therapists. And the reason I asked you that question is because um, I had usually two questions that I 
tended to go into the conversation with one is how did you end up in this space? What, you know, why do you do what you do mm-hmm. and what's your experience with staffing? And uh, more often than not, when I would ask those questions, and again, hopefully this is something that's changing. It's our goal. Um, but it was, it was usually negative. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, non-compete agreements and buyout clauses mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things that just really seemed to not advocate for the individual use that word earlier, uh, things that didn't set the individual up for success necessarily, uh, things that didn't allow the schools to build the teams they wanted to, and ultimately had this impact on kids. So the people, and then, and then those obstacles is what drew us into school-based staffing and being able to work with folks like yourself, frankly, um, behind the scenes, uh, it's, you know, it's a really good question. And I, I think folks should be skeptical, um, but I don't think that they should be skeptical of just uh, uh, recruiters in staffing companies. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you've done a lot of job searching, a lot of networking, a lot of time, you spent a lot of time in that space. I think there should be a level of skepticism that folks have, regardless of the, of the individuals that they're meeting, mm-hmm. regardless of the setting that they're going into regardless of the person that might be hiring. Hopefully there's a, a level of uh, trust that you can form in those conversations, but I think it's it, it's important for people to do their due diligence, to do their homework, to ask questions, to form a relationship or not, and understand if that person is the right person for them to be working with. On the, on the back end, you said you kind of wanted to know back end. Mm-hmm. So, you know, certainly if, if you want me to expand on anything, let me know, but you know, we're recruiters. So we spend our time building relationships with folks. And, you know, I guess when I talk, I'm talking in terms of myself, I'm talking in terms of Spotter. I've worked for two organizations, Spotter and my former organization. So it's difficult. I can maybe share some perspective, but I don't know if I can speak for other organizations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we spend our time networking, building relationships with folks. Um, you know, I've, I've never worked with you, Karen, but when you were working in a school, you spent your time serving those kids, would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you have the responsibilities in here, here and there, but that was your core day. Our core day is twofold. Getting to know individuals that want to work in that space, understanding their, their personal and professional goals, um, helping them understand how we can help them. And then the other half of it is spending time with the schools. So uh, for us in particular, we put a high value on information. The more we can understand the culture of an organization, what it's like in the environment, the team makeup, the day-to-day responsibilities. So we spend a lot of time building relationships. And that that's, you know, that connector word that you used earlier, that's mm-hmm. what helps us. So, you know, um, the phone calls, the emails, the LinkedIn messages, the text messages, I think- yeah. Things have uh, evolved over time. When I started in staffing, we were still posting jobs in newspapers. Um, we were yeah. putting flyers out on the side of the roads. Um, you don't see that as much. Uh, you know, at, uh, you know, <laughs> not as many folks are getting the Chicago Tribune or whatever it might be uh, and going through classifieds. So I think there's a little bit like got to figure out um, what's the best avenue. And I think a lot of times recruiters default to volume. Uh, more mm, messages yeah. I send out, the more emails I, you know, I, I, I deliver, uh, the more calls I make, uh, the more relationships I can create. And 
you know, there's some validity to that. You know, if you want to build relationships with folks, if you don't ever pick up the phone, if you don't ever send an email, the likelihood of you making connection uh, goes down. Um, so I, I, I think that's probably why a lot of times individuals are seeing so many messages. Um, but hopefully there's a, a connection point um, either through somebody like yourself or a professor or an association, whatever it might be that's bridging the gap so that those relationships can form uh, a little more organically. So. Yeah. And so usually the way that it works is, um, and the the different things that I have seen as a job seeker are where, and I think this is how, how you are set up, is when you are working with the professional and then you, you have a contract with a school and there, but they're actually an employee of Spotter. Is that how your setup is? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways organizations, staffing organizations are going to operate. Uh, the probably three most traditional is Spotter. Uh, we're a W2 company. So all individuals working for Spotter are employed through Spotter. So we provide health benefits, continuing education opportunities, professional, uh, professional allowances, uh, paid time off. Um, we provide uh, professional liability insurance. So all those things. So you're a W-2 employee of Spotter. Mm-hmm. There's 1099. Uh, some organizations operate with individuals truly operating as contract 1099 independent employees, which means uh, you're going to have to cover your own insurance. You're probably not going to receive benefits. That stuff's kind of all on you. Mm-hmm. And then there are some organizations out there in school staffing. It doesn't seem to be as common um, in, I would say, generally speaking, from my experience, in any setting where a speech path may go, where an OT may go, or where a PT may go. Uh, direct placement isn't as common, but sometimes you'll hear that phrase where an organization would call us and say, can you find us somebody for this role? We want to hire them through Spotter immediately. And they so they would never work for Spotter. Spotter or the organization would really just be that connector. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to, you know, to your question, to your comment, uh, Spotter is a W-2 employer. So everybody that works for Spotter is a W-2 employer. Yeah. So it's like, when you're when you have that kind of a situation, it's just you're helping with the placement and then you're out kind of a thing, which I know that that isn't how I, I have not seen that as well. I, I have seen it more with tech companies and corporate where they will just place the person and it's like the staffing company just gets paid for the for placing them and then they're out of the picture. And I have seen the others. There's a couple other companies and I don't want to name names, but they will. um they will help you to find a job and they'll actually do some of the setting up interviews and coaching you, but then you have to pay them a percentage of your salary for like a year. And I was Mm. like, Ooh, I don't know if I, and it's like, some of them are like 10% of your salary where I was like, ah, I mean, I I understand how that seems (laughs) enticing now where it's like, Oh, it would be so nice to just have a guarantee, but then you're on the hook for that. So you know, who am I to say that's not a good opportunity? I have not spoken with them. I don't know the positions they have. I don't know yeah. what could create for somebody. However, uh, from my experience, if you're having to pay into something in order to receive a job, it's probably not necessary. Uh, yeah. I'm sure I'm not the only one out there to hear 
how highly in demand a speech language pathologist is in this yeah. world right now. Mm -hmm. You're having to front something or pay something in order to be a part of that. To me, it seems like there might be another possibility out there for you. Yeah. And this company, and I don't know, I it, it's, I think, more for other more techie kind of, you know, other roles. I don't know if they do clinical roles, but yeah, I, I would think that you could do some of that networking and coaching on your own versus having to be on the hook for giving up a portion of your salary for a certain amount of time. So yeah. 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 A lot of times people want to know how staffing companies earn or there's a concern about that. Like yes, yeah. I take a position through a staffing company and by having to give up some wages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and so the first thing I would say around that is if you're having to do that, then, you know, it, it, everyone's got their own goals, their own personal priorities. Um, again, who am I to say that you shouldn't consider that opportunity? But it's probably not necessary. Most of the time, you're going to find organizations like Spotter. Um, we, like our premium, we're a for-profit company. Uh, our premium is billed to the district or the school. So, uh, that should never be felt by the individual. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the time, individuals are actually going to make more um, working through an organization like ours than um, than they would maybe through a district or a, a school itself. So, but yeah. definitely shouldn't be fronting money. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I mean, I know that there's career coaches and things like that, and that's different. And I personally feel a little bit different about that because sometimes there's other elements of personal development and you kind of know what you're getting yourself into versus like yeah. having to promise some kind of ongoing thing. So I feel a little bit better about that kind of thing, but, but yeah, when it's, when it's your salary, it just feels different. So finding a position is difficult and it can yeah. be stressful no matter where you're at in your career. Um, gosh, I think it was up there with um, life events like a death, and marriage. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, these are, those are extreme things to think about looking for a job compares, you know, what it compares to, um, you know, and so finding resources to help you with that, regardless of what they are, I think are important and something mm -hmm. that helps you, whether it's anxiety or frustration, whatever it is that will help you achieve your goals and find you the place you want to, I think is important. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it might be a career coach. Sometimes it might be a recruiter. Sometimes it might be a friend. Um, I get a, I go a little bit back and forth on some of the career coach. Uh, yeah. Resume, you know, paid resume mm -hmm. services. Because most times you can find resources that will help you with that for free. Um, I, I regularly will get involved with universities and talk about things like resume building, uh, talk about things like in, how to interview. Uh, we'll do one-on-ones and you know, that stuff, whether it's someone like myself, an organization like ours, going to a career center at a university, there's so many free resources out there that I just, I, I'm hard pressed to say somebody should go pay for that, <laughs> for those types of things. But if it makes you more comfortable in, in a tense situation, then, you know, it probably wouldn't be a horrible thing either. So, yeah, I think like something like resume building, it's such a, an isolated skill and such a small part yeah. of the job search process that to me, it seems like it could be a part of this 
big system that they're coaching you in and not the whole thing. I actually um, have been talking with a talent acquisition person who works for the, the Illinois government. And he said that he's worked with people who have paid a lot of money for people to help them with their resume. And he's like, they're not good. But government <laughs> jobs are different because um, he yeah. told me that with, you know, I'm, you know, I've been working since 2004. And so he's like, you should have a six page resume. And the resume people are like, condense it and do only three bullet points. And he's like, there's no way you're going to communicate your whole job experience here. And I, and so I think that sometimes if the person who's the resume writer doesn't understand the industry that you're in, and they mm-hmm. pretend like they do, or they think that they do, it doesn't apply to your situation. So I think knowing, getting somebody that understands your industry and understands the system that you're applying into is really important. And I have found that you've got to, you've got to be asking people, whether it's somebody selling career coaching, whether it's a recruiter, whether it's you're going directly to the organization or talking to people who work there, you have to know how to ask the right questions because it really doesn't matter because like it's, you always have to be advocating for yourself regardless of what the, who the person is that you're talking to. Yeah, I'd agree. You know, I, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about resume writing and we were talking about the stress that goes into resume writing and the amount of time that people spend Mm -hmm. writing resumes. And it it often tends to be very significant. You know, people Mm -hmm. are spending hours upon hours looking at a resume, reviewing it, editing it, changing it around. And, you know, I think you should have a good resume. I think resumes are important, but they're a tool to get you in front of somebody, in my opinion. And at that point, it's an opportunity for you to share your experiences and sell yourself and advocate for yourself. And where people spend a great deal of time on resumes, oftentimes they don't spend as, as much time building a network, mm-hmm. relationships. And yeah, you've been around this you know, world for a little while, like I have. If you see somebody's name come across that you know, yeah. Um, there's a better chance, especially if you know that person in a positive way, there's a better chance you're going to reach out to them regardless of what it says in the paper. Mm-hmm. There's a connection there. Uh, and so oftentimes when I'm talking about resumes with folks or I'm helping them build resumes, it's like how do we get things on the paper that are pertinent to what you're trying to accomplish? And then how do we make sure you get some connections with folks in a way that's going to, going to get you the position you want, get you the attention that you want versus stressing over resume writing and, you know, uh, people spend so much time. I think the Google average right now, the people look at a resume is like six or eight seconds. Uh, yep. So, it's, it's, yeah. it's, I've heard even less. <laughs> it's so, been hours free yeah. hour over, over a resume and then people don't read it. It's, it can be, <laughs> it can be stressful. Yeah. I mean, it certainly can. It seems like it's one of those things that you want to get it done and you want to have it for when somebody asks for it, but it's not a super huge ROI to be spending all of your time and yeah. I think that the, the people who do know how to coach people are focusing more on networking and um, helping you with your interviewing skills and yeah. negotiating and knowing how to ask the right questions and yeah. those kinds of things. Exactly. There you go. So I I had another question about the, let's see, which direction do I want to go in next? There's so many different places <laughs> we can go here. Yeah. Um 
when people are, if since since you are specifically focused on clinical roles, I have had some really interesting experiences working with recruiters. Just, you know, I I talked to one person at one company and I remember being like, where do I sign on the dotted line? Like he was so good at selling me and he knew all this information. And I just felt, you know, like, like the conversation went really well. And then I've talked to other people where I'm like, are they reading off a piece of paper? Like, yeah. you know, where you just feel, I, I feel like they don't really know what they're doing or they are just, you know, again, kind of reading off their operating procedures and they don't yeah. really understand the process. Like, and it's just, it was a very different feeling. And so I am curious, what things should people be asking when they're trying to figure out, is this role right for me? And I know that you specifically are focusing on Illinois and Texas. So obviously they can, if people are interested in roles in Illinois and Texas, they can obviously talk to you. But just in general, uh, when we're thinking about navigating the job search process, what should clinicians be asking when they're in that position? Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, you know, that individual that you spoke to that it felt like they were reading off a script or a piece of paper, I hate, I hate to say it because I've been staffing for 20 years, but they might have been doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it, very likely they could have been doing that. And, um, you know, like recruiting, staffing, um helping individuals find positions like everything else it's a skill mm -hmm. uh, so you have some that are better than others that individual that you said hey where's the dotted line where do i sign yeah you know I, I don't know that person but my guess is they probably spent a lot of time perfecting their craft understanding mm -hmm. what was important to individuals understanding how to convey those that information to folks um you know, making sure that they asked good questions to understand the needs of the individuals so that mm -hmm. they serve them. Uh, but it's a skill. And, you know, unfortunately, like every other industry in the world, there's people that are really good at it and people that sometimes uh, maybe are starting out or maybe just aren't, aren't so good at it. So, um, you know, questions to ask. Um, I don't know if there's a perfect question, a silver bullet question. If you sat down with a recruiter that you say, hey, if you don't ask this question, you're going to miss out. Mm -hmm. But I think like any other job interview or any other opportunity that you're considering, I think you should ask questions about the position, about the company that you're going to be working for, about the individual that you're going to be working with. Are you going to be working with that individual that was reading off the paper solely, or is there somebody else that you're going to be talking to? Yeah. Uh, do they do they know the details of the position? If they don't, um, you know that that might be a red flag. Um, understanding what longer term opportunities look like, um, you know, stuff that you might normally ask in a regular job interview if you were at an outpatient clinic meeting with yeah. the manager, or if you were in a skilled nursing facility meeting with the shift manager. Same questions you're just asking it to a recruiter at a staffing company and. Um, you know, when you sit down, Karen, with somebody and you feel uncomfortable or maybe you feel like they don't have all the answers and that you get that feeling in your stomach or that, that kind of thought in your brain, you're like, something just doesn't seem great here. Uh, I think you should follow it. Uh, yeah. And I think that to be true no matter who you're meeting with. So, 
Yeah, I don't know that I totally answered your question. I don't think there's a silver bullet answer for you. Um, you know, when you sit down with staff in person, ask this question, but I think you should do due diligence and understand who you're going to be working with, why the organization is around, uh, what the opportunity looks like and uh, who you'd be working with. And uh, if you're going through lines of questioning with those topics, um, you probably will know whether or not it's a individual, an organization, a position that you trust it's going to serve you or not so i don't know if that answers your question yeah well yeah no i agree that you do have to practice and talk to people and that's part of the networking is that if you're just talking to people and asking them questions about their job then you do feel more prepared when you get to an actual interview or when you're talking to a recruiter like yeah. as a as a job seeker it's so it, it it creates so much anxiety to feel like I like I can't see this. I can't envision myself in this role. And so asking questions about like, what does your day to day look like? Who am I reporting to? What does the team look like? You know, just to help you really be able to feel like you can see yourself in that position. Yeah. And something that actually that guy that I talked to or that I thought was really good, he he just told me some things where I was like, oh, I didn't even think to ask that where he was like, here is our um, re-sign rate. Like if we sign people at a school district, here's the percentage of people that come back and stay around. Sure. And then um, the other thing he was, he was talking about, like, this is how you're mentored and evaluated and those types of things. Cause that's something that does come up a lot with clinicians just in their jobs where not necessarily in the recruiting process, but where I see when I'm mentoring clinicians in some of my programs where there can be some, you know, some challenge and some conflict. Like my supervisor says I'm, I should do this. And sometimes they report to the principal and sometimes they report to a special ed director or um, some other kind of administrator. So just knowing how am I going to get support? How am I going to know if I'm meeting the requirements and, and those types of things. And the other thing that I know that with, um, if you are in person or teletherapy, People want to know about that. And they also like to know about the administrative requirements because that was another thing. He was like, people love this job because they hate the paperwork and we may, we help them focus on just the therapy and all this stuff. Like I said, he knew exactly what to say to <laughs> make sure. it sound amazing. And <laughs> so he clearly had talked to a lot of clinicians to figure out what parts of their job do they hate doing? What, why do they actually do this? Like you were saying where it's, why do you want to be a clinician? Nobody's like, I want to be an SLP because I love writing IEPs all weekend and <laughs> not being able to spend time with my family. Like nobody says that. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think that that was something that where I was like, wow, he was really impressive, even though I know yeah. I'm probably not going to be working with that guy. And yeah. I didn't end up going with that company just for other reasons, but, but yeah, it was, it was really, it was really insightful where I was like, okay, I feel like I know how to I have some questions that I'm going to ask the next person that I talk to. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, it, you know, so when I meet a lot of people and I probably asked you this question a few weeks ago when we were chatting, but you know, why did you get into the role you're in? Why are you in the career that you're in, mm -hmm. why are you in the space that you're in? I think that goes both ways and that, you know, recruiters that are committed to their craft will, will have an answer for you. And folks that maybe aren't, <laughs> maybe are, yeah 
taking the job as a job. Uh, they, they may not. And I, I think that question often gives a lot of perspective. Uh, beyond that, though, you know, to your point, being able to, to ask about things that are important to you, if you know that mentorship is critical to your success, asking that question. A good recruiter either will have an answer for you or they'll be honest and let you know that they don't know the answer and that they're going to go find out for you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that you've had other services that you've worked with outside of being a speech pathologist, whether it's a realtor or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And in my opinion, the folks that uh, are great don't always have every answer. They're educated. They've spent time understanding the folks that they're going to be working with, but they can also be transparent when they don't know something and mm -hmm. they have a way of finding it out for you. Uh, so, you know, I think understanding what's important to you and then being curious about it is a, is is what I would recommend and what I would do. Yeah. So I know that you have mentioned that you do spend a lot of time trying to understand why people went into this role. Yeah. And and I know that you do have people who work for you that are that have been in clinical roles. Can you share a little bit about? spotter and just the makeup so that people can kind of understand how your team works and how you're able to really understand the what the schools need what the job seekers need as well as just some of the other ins and outs of special ed and k-12 education yeah i, I can um i appreciate asking um so try not to give too roundabout of a response to you but I, as I shared in the beginning, I fell into staffing. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do three years into college and uh, I got into finance because I thought that's what, it, you know, that was going to be the career path I wanted. And um, Illinois State at that time, you had to declare after, after two yeah. years. So I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of put under the gun. And, uh, and so I chose finance and quickly realized it was not for me. Um, and uh, I fell into staffing. I was at that job fair I mentioned and was leaving and had somebody stop me. And so it started my career in staffing. Um, what I have learned over the years, uh, we're a working spotter, being a part of spotter, is that uh, individuals that have a background like yours, uh, typically they're not falling into it in the same method that I <laughs> that I fall into it. It's part of the reason I enjoy working with therapists so much. There's usually a, an amazing story around why somebody became an SLP, why somebody wants to work in a skilled nursing facility or a school, or why somebody became a therapist. And um, and so, you know, that really brought us into man, we we need to be working with these individuals if for no other reason. It just gives us an opportunity to spend time with really great people. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know you've been self-employed and, you know, from my vantage point, if I can just spend time with really great people every day, that in itself is a win. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we, we also, as I mentioned, we found that um, uh, there was not always the best feedback about staffing companies. And there were some things, uh, particularly in uh, agreements that didn't always serve the individual or the school or ultimately the kids. And, and so, you know, we got into this to work with the people and then we found an opportunity to better serve the clinicians, to better serve the schools, better serve the kids. 
but my business partner and I, his name's Ryan also, we are not therapists. And so we don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've learned a lot in four and a half years, but I, I also know that I'll never know as much as you do. Um, and so, uh, you know, we started seeking out individuals that could help us learn. Uh, and I think the uh, clinician community is a tighter one than other industries I've worked in. Uh, and fortunately, it's, it seems from my vantage point, it's a community that really is willing to help folks, uh, help folks learn, help folks see what it is that they do every day. Uh, so uh, we have uh, mentors that are uh, therapists that are lifelong clinicians uh, on our team. Um, everybody has experience in staffing. So our recruiters, uh, we were talking None of them are entry level. Everyone's been in a staffing role for an extended period of time, whether it's recruiting or working with schools or whatever it might be. Uh, but several of the folks also uh, have been clinicians uh, or have worked in a school. And so we have individuals that were teachers, individuals that worked um, with special needs, individuals in outpatient. I have a recruiter that uh, she was a speech language pathologist, still is, but uh, was a practicing speech language pathologist for 35 years before she got into staffing. So not only have they taught me a ton, uh, but they also can bring a really great perspective. Uh, and we've continued to think about that. Uh, how do we continue to learn? How do we continue? The more we learn, the more we can support uh, the school staff members on our team, but then we can offer them more resources. So we have uh, individuals we call clinical experts. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, 10, 15, 20 plus year individuals that have been a special ed teacher, been a speech language pathologist, have been an occupational therapist, and they act as intro advisors. And often we will get involved with um, our school staff if there's a question. So, you know, I think knowledge is incredibly important. And if we want to serve, the therapy community, we want to serve the speech community, we want to serve the schools. Uh, we, we need to understand uh, more about what it's like. Uh, so, you know, we, we tend to look for folks that have been around staffing, uh, but I think that uh, having folks that have been clinicians, folks that have been in the seat, folks that have been uh, uh, writing IEPs off hours, <laughs> yeah, though may not be why they got into it, you know, they, they give, they're able to give perspective that, uh, I think it's really important. So, I want to take a quick break here and talk about the School of Clinical Leadership. The job search process is obviously part of the puzzle when it comes to finding a good career, but you also have to know how to navigate the building and know how to show up and be a good member of the team once you actually get hired. And part of doing that is obviously knowing how to communicate with your team, knowing how to do what you need to be doing in therapy, as well as supporting the other people that you're working with. And as I've said countless times before on this podcast, one of the most powerful ways you can do that is by training people in strategies that support executive functioning, as well as knowing how to put the right things in place in your therapy. So... I show you exactly how to do that in the School of Clinical Leadership. So you can really be that executive functioning coach for your IEP team. To learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now let's get back to the interview. 
I think that what people like to know is that there are people involved that that do understand that have been in their role. And, and I think the other thing is that, as you said before, recruiting and staffing is a very specific skill set. As we talked about before, there's some people who are really good at it and some people who aren't so good at it. So even if you are a clinician and you want to get into recruiting, then there is there are some skills that can be learned. But I think that it's it's a really interesting combination to have both have that, like you said, 35 years of clinical experience, but also understand the job search process. Because I know that a lot of people, not just SLP, but people in other, you know, social work, psychology, occupational therapy, counseling, you know, special ed teachers, we get trained in our discipline. We don't get trained in our career and how to navigate the job search process. It's just, I remember when I graduated, it was like, oh, most people have a couple job offers when they are, you know, after they graduate. And so it was almost like, well, the job market is so good that we don't really need to help you with that. But the job market has changed. I know that depending on where you live, like in Illinois, there's still a lot of openings. So that's great. But I know there was a shortage for a while on the East Coast or or even just if you want to have options and not just take the things in your area and want to be able to look at just, you know, have a couple different things to pick from. There just wasn't really that, that, uh, that support. So I think it's important to know the process. Yeah. You know, I'll plug people that have not like myself that have never been a speech pathologist. Yeah. Um, You know, having an individual like the recruiter that I mentioned, that has got years and years of speech Mm-hmm. And practicing experience and staffing experience. I mean, it's incredibly beneficial. My plug would be don't count out the folks that have not been. Mm-hmm. Uh, if yeah. you find somebody that's dedicated to learning and dedicated to serving others and dedicated to helping you in your career, they can be equally as beneficial. And um, the organization I worked at prior to starting Spotter, it was very common for you to move through industries and um, out of school, I started in manufacturing and then I moved to lab and working with folks in labs. And then I moved to architecture and engineering and software. And so I had all these things that I'd never done before. I think if you're committed to learning and finding resources that can support the individual that you're going to hire, uh, then you, you can still be of great benefit. So a little bit of plug for the folks that haven't been mm-hmm. in it, but if you can find resources that have done both, it's, uh, it's hugely beneficial. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I found that when I, when I get advice from people who are, who have not been in a clinical role, sometimes you just like, if you, if you only take advice from this pool of people and you don't get an outside perspective, you don't realize how you're coming across because there are a lot of times, whether you're looking for a clinical role or whether you want to take your clinical skills and do something else, and you're using language that you know, all the SLPs use and nobody uses that outside. You don't realize that people might not know what you're talking about. You might not get hired for something that you're qualified for because you don't have that outside perspective. So yeah, I would definitely agree with that, that you can certainly gain a benefit from talking to people who can just give you a, just look at it from a different angle and have a different level of experience. Yeah. Diversity of thought never, never hurts, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm certainly a fan. Um, like I said, the career coach that I'm working with now has more of a corporate finance marketing background. Um, so again, just completely different background or there's, you know, I'm talking to somebody who had a back, a military background and a government background, and there's yeah. all different, depending on what you're trying to do, there's all different ways of doing things. So yeah. I have in the job search process found that it's really interesting when one person says one thing and then you go to another person and it's like, well, that's terrible advice. Don't do that. And <laughs> so my, my biggest, like you said, where it's, there's not one set of magical questions is that you really do have to learn how to read the room and understand like, what are all the different pieces of advice that I've gotten and which one of them applies in this conversation that I'm having right now? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of opinions in and around recruiting and job search. Um, a lot of folks have, I mean, you ask 100 people, you can get a different, 100 different mm -hmm. opinions on how to approach something. Um, you know, for recruiters, for staffing, I, I think for managers or leaders in general, I think those that uh, know that there's a lot of opinions, but center it back to what the individual's personal and professional goals are and that can help them understand options to serve those personal and professional goals. Those are the folks that tend to not only be more successful, but also tend to serve their people at a greater capacity. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opinions out there. That's for sure. There, you can get a ton of opinions. Uh, I yeah. probably be right. <laughs> it is a sea of, of many different pieces of advice and not, yeah, you definitely have to learn how to sift through it. And, and I think that, um, I think it was, was it Gary Vaynerchuk? He was like, every piece of advice taken out of context or like, or what did he say? Good advice taken out of context is bad advice, including the advice that I'm telling you right now or something like that, <laughs> sure. where yeah. it's like, and I think, I think he's a good example because so many people take what he says, because he has so much content that people take oh. it out of context all the time. Not that people don't do that for other people, but I've seen, I've seen his <laughs> things that he said be taken different ways. So it was just kind of funny coming from him, but, but yeah. Um, so I know we've been talking a lot about, you know, what, what people can do to navigate a, an, an employed situation. We've kind yeah. of talked a little clinical. We've discussed a little bit about, you know, maybe how you might think about your job search. If you're thinking about going to a non-clinical role, but I know that one of your interests is also entrepreneurship, seeing as how you had, you know, you were employed and now you've gone the, um, <laughs> the, the entrepreneur route. <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah, this could be a whole other side conversation and I have so many thoughts on it. So yeah. when people are thinking about, you know, they're in a role and they're thinking, what else is out there? Do you feel like people have this idea that it's like this is the the like there's this one scenario that is superior than others like have you have you kind of gotten that when you're when you've gone through and just learned how to start a business like I don't know <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm just in certain groups and feeling jaded at the moment but um sure. do you ever feel like there's this this idea of like this is the you know this scenario is better than this one and that kind of thing yeah. I mean, there's definitely stereotypes and I believe human nature, grass is greener. 
you know, yeah. you always mm-hmm. wondering if it could be better somewhere else. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, as, as I shared, as you shared, I worked for a larger organization for several years and there were some really good things that, that came from that. Um, you know, I, I don't think one is superior over other. I don't think being, um, a, you know, a, uh, a business owner is superior over being a uh, contract employee, uh, regardless of independent or whatever it might be. I don't think it's superior over being a W-2 employee. I think it really depends on what's important to you as an individual. And mm-hmm. I think where I'm at today, after a lot of soul searching, and what, yeah. what's important to me, what do I want to accomplish in my life? Uh, what's my, you know, the, what's my why? What's my purpose? And um, found that through Spotter, through starting Spotter, that I can better serve that purpose. And 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 so, I, I, you know, I've probably said the phrase personal professional goals a couple of times. I, I think that's important. You know, I think when individuals are trying to figure out career path, what's important to them, understanding what those are um, drives a direction that you should go. And so uh, for me, um, in, you know, in the last few years and for the foreseeable future, I feel like I can serve my personal professional goals uh, in a grander way by doing this. And you know, I, having left a large organization, and of course, now I'm talking about just me, but I, you know, it was really important for me to find a way to make an impact on a, a greater group of people. And um, while I knew that I could do that in a role I was in, I felt like I could do that in a greater capacity starting spotter. Um, and there's a lot, you know, having, uh, being self-employed yourself, um, you know, there's a lot that goes along with that. Yeah. <laughs> There's some really difficult moments and there's some really exciting moments, mm-hmm. um, you know, that those ebbs and flows that maybe you wouldn't have as drastically if you were, if you were, if I was a W2 employee of somebody, of yeah. some organization. Uh, but again, I think it goes back to what's your purpose? Are you serving it? What's your personal professional goals? Uh, what's your why? What do you want to accomplish in your life? And uh, I think if you follow that, uh, regardless of your title, your employment status, I, I think you'll find that it's serving you. So uh, I, I definitely, I mean, I, <laughs> I've been an employee. We have employees. I certainly don't think there's anything that's superior. I just think it's about whether, I think it's about whether or not you're serving uh, yourself and ultimately others. So, yeah. What so, don't, things... so I don't know. I don't know how you're feeling right now. You said yeah. You're, you're oh man. I, I think it goes, it goes in phases. And what, what's really interesting is that I, I think that a lot of people, you know, and I've been sharing this a lot with clinicians where it's like, I think sometimes when people are in one position and they're starting to feel, you know, the itch, like what else is out there? They start to second guess the initial decision that they made. Whereas that could have served a purpose and that could have been something that led you to the next step. And so Maybe you you picked this position, you did it for a while, you got experience, and you want to make some kind of a, a switch to, you know, maybe a similar role, but just work for a different place or um, work in a different clinical setting or still be in your field, but in a non-clinical role. Or, you know, maybe you do want to start a business and for SLPs or therapists, the yeah. most common thing is starting a private practice, but I think that sometimes people have this like kind of sunk cost sort of, you know, did I pick the right thing just because maybe I, it's not exactly what I thought. And 
the thing is, is that the whole idea of hindsight, like how would you have known what it was going to be like in, unless you did it, um, yeah. unless you had that experience. So, so I always like to share with people that it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And, and it's, it's okay to want to try something else. It's okay to not know exactly what you want to do next, but you can move in a direction and try something and get clarity. And, and that the idea, like, I, I always, I do feel like I had rose colored lenses about the whole entrepreneur space back when I was, you know, a full-time employee. And I'm glad that I went this route, but also there's a lot of things that I've learned where people are like, oh, it sounds so great. You can just, you know, like, you know, when, when I, um, when I first started my business, there's like all kinds of courses you can sign up for where it's like drink margaritas on the beach while you're making money in your sleep and like all that stuff. They <laughs> say, and I'm like, so I guess my, I'm just, I'm just ranting right now, but so yeah. my question for you is like, what, what things did you think about being self-employed that surprised you or were more challenging or like, are there things that were unexpected benefits? Like what, what were things that you didn't expect about going that route? Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I was in my professional career for 15 years before I decided to do this and, um, I remember talking to my parents and talking to my sister and my, of course my wife about it. And for me, it, it, it seemed easy. And I, I know that's mm -hmm. a goofy thing to say, but to me, it seemed very clear um, that this is something that I need to do. Um, and again, I, I go back to my purpose and what I'm trying to accomplish in my life and, you know, making sure that every day I feel like I'm fulfilling my time here, right. Not, not to be dramatic about it, but, uh, I also know that uh, my pace and how I do things may not always be the same as others. Sometimes it's slower, sometimes it's faster. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm at, uh, typically I'm at optimal, whether you call it performance or optimal uh, impact when uh, I'm managing my own pace. So for me, it, it became very, very clear that, hey, I want to serve these these these. Um, I want to serve others. If I want to, uh, you know, I want to make the impacts I want to make. If I want to uh, achieve these professional goals I have, gosh, I have to do this because otherwise I'm just going to be frustrated with myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll, you know, it, it just, it would be more difficult to stay with a different organization at that time. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know that that's going to be it for everybody. What I, uh, have learned it, it, it's no different than you know starting a business is no different than uh, starting a new career uh, stepping into a new setting uh, deciding to go to your master's program it's hard work mm -hmm. uh, sure you, yeah. you know that. it's hard work it requires learning uh, depending on what your goals are it might, might require, require more work require more learning um, so I think it's a little bit of, again a broken record, but what are you trying to get out of your days and what are you willing to commit to doing that? Um, what I, um, for any of the speech pathologists that are out there listening or you know, anybody else that's listening for that matter, mm -hmm. regardless of what it is that you do, um, pretty much every person that I've met in this space, incredibly hardworking, incredibly high character, 
incredibly uh, selfless. So, you know, if, if it's something that's important to you, my bet is that you will probably achieve it. Um, but that jump can be difficult. I'm, I'm, I imagine yeah. you felt that at times, that jump to go, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this new setting or I'm going to try starting my own private practice or I'm going to check out what a staffing company offers versus a, a director, whatever it might be, that jump can be a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, exploring it uh, doesn't hurt. Um, and usually you'll know if it feels right, I, I personally. So um, yeah. How did that work for you when you decided to do some of these things? That Jesus podcast is amazing. You've got a ton of folks that you've had on and people I've listened to were uh, far more knowledgeable than I, than I probably <laughs> will ever be. Um, but I imagine you weren't, but it, it, it had to be difficult for you to step in one day and go, you know what, I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's, it's been, it's been a process. So, I mean, I think that for, for me, I, I've done a lot of mini experiments. And so that's what I usually recommend for people. And, you know, actually uh, it was uh, when I was, I was interviewing for a, it was kind of like a curriculum director type of a position. And a lot of times for positions, they're like, we want you to have experience in X, Y, Z. And I'm like, how can you get administrative experience if no one will hire you as an administrator? Yeah. And he was like, you have to find opportunities to create those experiences. And so I call them micro experiments. So it's like you, you find ways to create that experience, um, you know, unofficially. So like for me, like I thought maybe I want to be teaching at the college level. Well, you can find adjunct work. A lot of times people need people to teach adjunct so you can get some experience that way. And also you can make money doing that. Um, and then also like I've created my own courses through, as a self-employed person. So I have experience designing course curriculum through that way. So there's, you know, you can kind of like do, do a side hustle, do build up some portfolio of experience. Or when I was in the schools, I would, because I wanted to be in a leadership position at, at some point I would have my SLP role, but then I would also try to find other ways that I could do other projects. Part of it was because I was getting my director's special ed credential and I had to do some of that for my coursework, but I sure. would always look for opportunities for those things to kind of do little test runs and know it's not exactly the same as being in one of those positions, but that's how you can kind of do these little tests to kind of see, is this a direction I might be wanting to go? And then at some point you do just have to take the leap. Like you can only have so many networking calls and ask so many questions before you have to just be like, all right, I've done enough research. I have enough information. I need to just like jump. And and, and that is kind of hard, um, <clears throat> but I'm definitely a proponent for research and preparation and doing little mini experiments and trying to get, get information about what your next step might be. And I think that um, this is something that I struggle with where sometimes people, it's not that they don't have options or things that they're interested in. It's that they have so many that they can't narrow them. Like yeah. the, you know, bright, shiny object syndrome, where it's like so many different things, just pick a direction and go. Yeah. And it, it doesn't mean that the other directions weren't good directions. It's just, it's not like a magical karmic thing. It's just a choice. Yeah. So I think that's part of it as well. I don't know if you ever run into this, the 
Um, you can't always do everything. Uh, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. There's so many things I love to accomplish in my life and yeah. accomplish my daughter. And I, you know, I wish I could do them all today, but the reality is that's not possible. And so, you know, what is it that's most important to you? And to your point, um, there's so many things out there. Grass is greener always. I, I just think that's human nature that people mm -hmm. see the shiny ball type thing and wonder if it's, if it chase it and wonder if it's better. But I, I think if you can come back to where am I trying to go with my life, my family, my career, how is this serving me and, and, and those you know priorities um, maybe takes away a little bit of the noise at times. Yeah. I was, uh, I was talking to a guy the other day that, um, he's, he's in a corporate role and he's one of those people. He's like, I always get the itch after a couple of years. And, you know, in corporate positions, people do bounce around a lot more than in clinical positions. It's kind of normal. Um, yeah. or it's a little bit more normal than in, in, in the schools. And he said that he makes a habit of just interviewing for something new once a year, whether, and a lot of times he doesn't take it. So, I, it, it would be interesting if, you know, even if people in a clinical role in the schools had that same mindset of like, maybe you aren't super actively looking for a new position, but just making it a habit to continue to network as if you're job seeking and just see what else is out there, even if you're not you know, it's almost like, don't go to the grocery store when you're starving, do some preparation <laughs> beforehand. Like maybe yep. we should think about our job search the same way where it's, what if we always were sort of in job search mode, even if we weren't just, you know, cause you don't want to wait till you're in a position to where you are in a situation that's so toxic, you have to get out of it. And you're just like, you know, miserable all the time, you know, just being proactive about it. Yeah. I had that, you know, I, I, yeah. I was that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, um, had a hard time making that decision until it became so clear that if mm -hmm. I didn't make the decision, it just wasn't going to be healthy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend not doing, doing that. <laughs> it's hard to motivate yourself to do that though. Well, I, you know, for me, I think it's a relationship thing and I, when I was at that point, I struggled uh, abandoning really. I felt like I was going to abandon relationships, people mm -hmm. that counted on me that I'd worked with for years. Like, what, you know, what were they going to think? Uh, was I going to leave them in a bad spot? Um, however, I, generally, I think people want good for other folks. You know, mm -hmm. obviously, there's all negativity all over the news uh, most of the, most of the days. But generally, I think people want the best for other folks. And um, you know, going through that experience, I think it. I didn't realize it at the time until I you know, had to make that decision or I was in the spot where I was like, God, I, I, it's just, it's gone too far. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I would agree with you. I think exploring many experiments, how do you give yourself perspective? Um, I don't think it hurts. That's for sure. Yeah. I know that. And again, this is like hindsight, but mm -hmm. I definitely wish I would have dabbled more in the self-employment realm earlier than yeah. I did, but you don't know what you don't know. You know, I mean, I was getting my doctorate. It's not like I was slouching around. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'm only, I can only again speak for me, but I think the self-employment thing, I think the fear that sometimes can come along with it is if it doesn't work out, what mm -hmm. is that? Like, right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know I have that. If 
I don't, you know, if I'm not successful with spot or what does that mean for me as my, with my identity that I fail, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and, um, you know, that's a scary thing to confront failure. And obviously we all have moments of failure, but uh, I, I don't know if this is extreme for me, if it's as extreme being in other positions. Um, but again, that also, for me, that that's a driver, that's a motivator, that's a pusher uh, to, to do more. So, uh, yeah. But well, I think with the self-employed thing, depending on what you do, I mean, you can, you can try that out when you still have a job. I mean, as long as there's not, and I know I, I wanted to get a little bit more today. I know we were, We've been talking for a while now. We're we're, we're over our time. So, um, but I know one of the things that I did want to know is um, to kind of circle back to what we were talking about before, because I mean, maybe people want to look for a job that's also going to, you know, what if people want a hybrid situation where they want to be part-time self-employed or have some side projects, but also have a job and have some security, like, that's an, a good option for people as well. You don't always have to put yourself into one bucket. You know, sometimes you might for a certain period of time and then you switch or sometimes yeah. you might have kind of a combination. So I know that you mentioned some things that come up with with staffing as far as like non-competes and things yeah. like that. Um, so what are some things as we kind of wrap up here that you think are different about the way that you handle recruiting at, at Spotter versus what you've seen in the industry in the past. Yeah. So um, from a agreement perspective, Spotter does not have non-competes. We don't have binding language in our uh, agreements. We don't have buyout clauses. So, uh, you know, when we work with a school, when a school calls us, we understand what they're looking for, understand the school, the culture, all that kind of stuff that we talked about earlier. And then we help an individual find that, it's, you know, it's a, that connector, right? So, uh, if somebody decides that they want to be part of a district, then that's what we are. We're a connector. If somebody wants to be part of Spotter long-term, they have that opportunity. But we've taken away those limitations. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the term contract to hire is very, very common in pretty much every other industry uh, mm-hmm. that's out there. It's not as common in schools. And, you know, uh, we got into this for the people and to change how staffing companies partner with schools. There's no reason contract to hire can't be commonplace with schools. So um, if an individual is going to go engage with a recruiter, I would very much understand what those agreements look like, what their limitations are, uh, what opportunities they have. And I think that would be for any position you're going to get, but uh, particularly with staffing, uh, you know, you mentioned flexibility. Uh, We have, you know, we offer that because we don't have those things. We offer that. And, um, we have plenty of people that work 0.5s or 0.6s or mm-hmm. 0.4s. And, you know, they, you know, the schools a lot of times would love the help full time, but, uh, you know, it's a highly in demand position. So oftentimes you can be more flexible. You might get a hybrid position. You might get a work from home position. You might be able to do part time so that you can serve other interests. Um, uh, so, um, that would be probably the, the biggest thing from a like tactical agreement mm-hmm. legal perspective. Um, personally, I think if it ever gets to that point, there's a, a really big miss. Um, if I have an employee and it gets too legal, something went wrong. Yeah. 
So some of them have been really long. Um, you know, our recruiters, our the staff that are working with folks, their number one priority. It's certainly help kids, but it's first and foremost, how do we understand what's important to the speech pathologist or the therapist that we're working with? And how do we make sure we serve that? Uh, and I think, you know, those things change. So we need to continually understand what that looks like and make sure that we're, we're helping folks um, accomplish, you know, what they're looking, looking to do. If, if we are doing that, how would people not be happy in their role? If we're helping people achieve what they want to in their career and in their personal life, how would they not be happy? And uh, Are we perfect at it? No, nobody is. Um, but we spend a lot of time talking about uh, you know, what's this person's interest? Why are they doing what they do? What do they want to accomplish in the next year? What do they want to accomplish in the next five years? And, um, uh, there's been plenty of opportunities where we've made introductions outside of Spotter because we know it's not the right fit for us at the time. So I think that, uh, uh, again, any hiring manager, recruiter, leader, regardless of the space, I think if they're prioritizing their, their people, then probably got a pretty good opportunity. Yeah. So really, it's that, that's really interesting that the contract to hire thing is is common in other industries where where you could in theory, be working for the, for the staffing company, but then eventually like you really like the district and you want to go work for the district. So that's, that's how that would look. And that's, is that not often done in other companies that staff for schools? Uh, we're working on that. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, the more success we have, the more pressure, I think it puts on other staffing companies to consider. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gives more leverage for the schools to, have those conversations, but no, it's it's not as common. I, mean, I worked for the largest privately held staffing company in uh, the U.S. It was third in the world uh, at the time I was there. I don't know it's now, but and uh, they they offered contract, contract to hire, and and direct placement, and pretty much every competitor that we had did the same, and that was across manufacturing, uh, scientific, architecture, energy engineering, software, you know, IT. And so if all of those industries can do it, why can't that be offered in schools? And it's really uh, weird. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, Interesting. I have opinions on it that might be maybe better if we discuss that <laughs> outside. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, I, I just think it's an opportunity for um, our our part of the staffing industry to to consider, you know, um, if you know if, if that's a, a direction to go and I, I I don't see why it isn't. Uh, we've yeah. been doing it for four and a half years. Um, you know, we every year have people that have converted and continues to grow. Uh, we certainly have people that want to stay on with Spotter and some that go start their own companies or go into a different setting and that's mm -hmm. sick as well. But um, you know, we get really excited when when people convert it. It's a it's a win knowing that we help them achieve what they are trying to accomplish in their career. And it's also a win because again, we're we're trying to change how staffing companies partner with schools. And uh, we don't want that feeling of or that that um that thought of uh what we started the conversation with where people maybe are 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 more skeptical or have an ill feeling yeah. towards that thing. We want that to go away. We want to be partners. We want to help help these schools and help these clinicians achieve their goals. And ultimately, you know, um, all of us are working to serve those kids or serve those patients or serve those individuals that uh, you guys are seeing every day. So, um, you know, 
yes, it's, it's everywhere else. Yeah. Interesting. What about the part-time? Because so it's really funny because when I was, even though I don't feel like I got a lot of career coaching early on in my life, um, what I did hear was that being a therapist is something that's easy to do part-time and that's, Mm -hmm kind of the the sell about being an SLP and I think could be potentially true for other therapies. So is that that whole idea of being, you know, 0.5, is that something that's done in other industries too? Or other other staffing companies that staff for schools? So other industries completely away from like yeah students. i'm just i'm curious if 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 there are other staffing if it's if it's different in other companies that are working with with these particular this particular industry as well as just other industries in general yeah um so my experience with schools with individuals that are um in you know in a speech role or a speech profession uh or in a therapy profession i think it's more common Mm -hmm. Uh, you certainly see positions posted for 0.8 or 0.5 or 0.6 or whatever it might be in the schools and I think oftentimes schools are looking for people full time, but they have, you know, they understand the, the market, yeah. so they'll be a little bit more flexible. Um, you, of course, see stuff like PRN, and uh, mm. are able to go pick up shifts at hospitals or whatever it might be. Or, um, so I think there's a lot of flexibility in this space, uh, in staffing in general, hiring in general, employment in general. I think you're seeing more of it. You know, the whole gig work thing that. that that's now very, very popular. Uh, people going on apps and picking up a few hours or a project or whatever it might be. So I, so I think it's becoming more um, common, uh, but you know, full-time employment is still, you know, that, that's what people, um, when they're hiring, tend to ask for. Right? Yeah. More often than not, they're looking for a full-time employee. They just uh, are thinking more about how they can accomplish the goals of the school or the goals of the organization. And so yeah. flexible. And I get that, you know, I mean, you are, we've really focused on the benefits from the job seeker end, but obviously this has to be a win for the person doing the hiring as well. Otherwise it doesn't work if it's not a win for everybody. So yeah. I, I understand that sometimes you need what you need and you want to make sure that you have your team because it's not a, it's not beneficial to the other people working there if you don't have a full team. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, more, more important than ever for you to know what's important to you. So when you go to ask for those things, you can be very clear about them because oftentimes, yeah, we work with schools, right? So that's where my greatest knowledge is from. They have some level of flexibility, but they can't be flexible on everything. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Because to point, they still are trying to accomplish goals. Yeah. Certain kids. So. Well, I feel like we could just keep going, but I know we're <laughs> over time. So where can people go to learn more about Spotter? I know you have you have your contact. People are interested in looking at positions, but also you have some resources on your website where people can learn about your company or just there's just some other free information on there, I believe. Yeah, uh, spotterstaffing.com is our website. Uh, certainly go on there. If you're looking for a position, you can certainly go out there and look for a position. Uh, our recruiter profiles, everybody's profiles on there. So if you want to learn more about that, that would be a great place to go. Um, you know, we're, we tend to be a lot on LinkedIn, tend to be a lot on Twitter and other social media outlets. Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is Ryan underscore uh, Cleveland. So you can certainly follow me there. Uh, at, you know, LinkedIn, Ryan Cleveland. 
Uh, if you followed hashtag join the herd, uh, we didn't talk about Leo the llama, but uh, you'll see a lot of llama stuff with uh, with spotter. So hashtag join the herd. If you if anybody had any questions, wanted to talk more, um, share perspective, thoughts, I, I love hearing it. My email is ryanc at spotterstaffing.com. Uh, so, you can go on there. There's blogs. There's content. We tend to share uh, discounts for CEUs with other organizations, free CEUs. Uh, so try to get as much out there to the community that, that serves the community as possible. And right now you are staffing for Texas and Illinois, correct? Yeah. Uh, so it's important to us that we do our best job possible. So we uh, spend time in uh, kind of like a 75, 80 mile radius around Chicago and Illinois and then the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So if that's your world or if you want to learn more about that world, that would be uh, that would be something we could help you with. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Karen. It's nice talking with you. Nice to talk with uh, somebody else from Illinois State. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Be sure to check the show notes and learn more about where you can connect with Ryan and learn about spotter staffing, especially if you are in the Illinois or Texas area and you're looking for a position. Also, if you want to learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, my course that helps school clinicians take the executive functioning lead in their building, but also will help you get better at networking and selling yourself, check out the sign-up page at drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash clinical leadership. As always, if you have a suggestion for a guest on the show, or if you'd like to be a guest, please email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who needs this information. And as always, it helps me so much if you leave me a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. 
If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.